Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you're unfamiliar with these products or their health benefits, it's all about educating yourself, and they have a staff dedicated to helping you live a better life. So don't hesitate to ask any questions you may have, 405-458-9699. Plus, we're saving you 15% when you order online. Visit the website, abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code ColbyShow, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, discount code ColbyShow to save 15% off your online order at Artisan Botanicals. Once again, abotanicalcompany.com. All right, it is Thursday. We are two weeks away from the NFL Draft, so we have the mock draft coming up today. Uh, Real quick, want to let you guys know, draft night, two weeks from today, Aaron Davis and myself will be at Chalk Sports Bar in Chisholm Creek. Uh, We're going to do the entire live broadcast throughout the first round. I think we're going to start about 30 minutes before the draft starts, so 6.30 Central. Uh, That's going to be a ton of fun. And again, there are going to be giveaways. Um, It's an incredible sports atmosphere. They have thousands of televisions. Obviously, that's an exaggeration, but I can't think of a better place from a viewing standpoint with that many screens, uh, great food, and great atmosphere to uh, watch the draft. So, all of you draft nerds like myself, if you're looking for a place to, to get out of the house and go watch the NFL draft, uh, make sure you join us at Chalk in Chisholm Creek. All right, uh, mock draft time. All 32 picks made by people that cover each team. Uh, this is a ton of fun. I really appreciate everyone that helped me out with this thing. Um, brilliant, brilliant sports media people that helped me out with this thing. So you guys are going to really enjoy this. And uh, for everybody that helped me out, I really appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome. And uh, let's get to it. Here is the mock draft. And the 2021 mock draft is officially underway with the first pick in the 2021 NFL draft. Joining us covering the Jacksonville Jaguars is Hayes Carlion with 1010. XL 92.5 FM covering the Jags. Hayes, this is probably the most no-brainer number one pick of all time, but as a formality, the Jacksonville Jaguars select two. Uh, we do still have to turn in a card, uh, and uh, we are prepared to do that. Uh, ever since the uh, Jets were stupid enough to start winning games late in the year, uh, this city got amped about this pick, and so it is, uh, it's an easy choice. The Jacksonville Jaguars select Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence with the top pick. Uh, this is, uh, again, it's, it's the biggest no-brainer. Um, what was the the conversation during the season? Did anybody think Jacksonville was ultimately going to end up in this spot? No, I, I think everybody expected the Jets would go 0-16. And there was no confidence that the Jaguars would win. But, it was, but the Jaguars won the opener. And so as the season played out... And you realize that that was a total fluke. Uh, the Jaguars upsetting the Colts in week one. Uh, then it became, well, of course, they're going to go one in 15 and still not get Trevor Lawrence because the Jets aren't going to win. And uh, the Ravens uh, beat the Jaguars 44 to 16 one Sunday at one o'clock. And three hours later, the city was jubilant in elation because the Jets upset the Rams. And then the next week, obviously, the Jets won again, uh, and and the Jaguars locked it in before we even got to week 17. So since then, there has just been a massive amount of optimism in the city. I think everybody thought that they were going to be in the Zach Wilson, Justin Fields conversation. Um, Mac Jones, maybe, uh, you know, but uh, who's Jack, who's a Jacksonville kid. But um but the fact that now it's it's been locked in, it's Trevor Lawrence. And again, it's why Urban Meyer is here to coach the Jaguars. So not only did the Jaguars get the rights to select Trevor Lawrence, 
They also have a head coach in Urban Meyer that is by far the biggest star they've ever hired. Uh, and he's here for one reason, to coach Trevor Lawrence. When you listen to any draft conversation, Trevor Lawrence's name is rarely even brought up. And, and I mentioned, you know, the no-brainer pick. Even when Andrew Luck was selected, there was a lot of conversation about him compared to RG3, and you don't even get that with Trevor Lawrence and the rest of the quarterbacks in this group. It's almost as though, even though he's so far ahead of everybody else in this class, it kind of feels like he's he's already been almost written into Canton, right? Like, this is a, a can't-miss guy that it almost feels like if he doesn't get to the Hall of Fame, uh, what happened? Uh, there's no question about it. I, I don't think you could have harder expectations to live up to entering the NFL than Trevor Lawrence will have. And it's a tall order because the team that he's going to has not been good at all other than 2017. And that was really because of the, of a great defense that's no longer there. So uh, environment plays such a big role with these quarterbacks in terms of if they're successful, I think it really helps Trevor that urban Meyer is here. I do think he'll make uh, a smooth transition uh, to the NFL and, uh, and obviously, they have a lot of other draft capital to build around Trevor uh, with the nine picks following the selection of Trevor at one. So uh, they have the 25th pick. They have two in the second round. They have a third round or two in the fourth round. So uh, you hope the environment will be conducive to Trevor having success. But there's no doubt that everybody believes that Trevor Lawrence is going to be a quality starting quarterback immediately. And you'd like to think by year two, year three, is really elevated into that elite top five uh, category in the NFL. So it's a lot to live up to. We'll catch up again for the 25th pick in this first round. But as we stand here now, what are, are some of the needs that you think might be addressed in that spot? I've, Urban Meyer has really prioritized building up the defensive line. Uh, and he said, I want to be a top eight unit this year. And then I want that to climb higher. So you don't build that up without investing premium draft capital in it. They've been very active in free agency, rebuilding that defensive front as they go to a 3-4 under no, uh, new defensive coordinator, Joe Cullen. But you don't build up an elite defensive line through free agency. Uh, you've got to do it through premium draft capital. And so I think at 25, uh, if they see an interior defensive lineman there that they like, uh, I think that's where they could go. But also they could certainly look at a playmaker for Trevor Lawrence as well. So um, th those would be the two. Uh, there's a number. They're one in 15. So there's a number of uh, positions they could attack at 25. But I would think if you're if you're committed to building up the defensive front, you would get your quarterback at one and then help your uh, your defensive front at 25. Trevor Lawrence is the number one overall pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars. He is Hayes Carlion, 1010XL, 92.5 FM, covering the Jags. Hayes, appreciate the time. Colby, thanks so much. Take care. The New York Jets are on the clock at number two overall in this NFL draft. Making the pick for the Jets from the Broadway Jets podcast is NYJ Matt. Matt, with the second pick in this draft, the Jets select who? Yeah, so we're going to take Zach Wilson. I don't think there's much of a surprise. A lot of people are saying the draft starts at three. So with number two overall, we're going to go Zach Wilson, quarterback, BYU. Now, before I ask you about Zach Wilson, I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Thoughts on the Darnold trade and the return for Dar Darnold? Yeah, I think Joe Douglas did a great job in the compensation they got back. Um, a six this year, a two and four next year. A lot of people thought maybe a three could be a five. Uh, three and a five. So I think it was a good return. I know just Twitter kind of back and forth on what to do. A lot of people lean towards, you know, moving off of Sam. 
there was an option to trade back for maybe multiple ones. But at the end of the day, Joe Douglas gets his guy, resets the rookie quarterback contract. So he's got to have faith in the new coach he brings in, uh, you know, Robert Law and Douglas moving forward. So I think it was a pretty good return for Darnold. And he was in three years a, a hard worker. And I hope he does big things in Carolina. Now, as far as Zach Wilson, how do you see him fitting in immediately? Is it a, is it a wait and play situation or, or does he get the opportunity out of the gate? Yeah, top five pick, I think you have to put him out uh, to start week one. And if in practice and in training camp you don't think he's ready, then you go ahead and you bring in a veteran, start them. Like Jets, we're looking at Brian Hoyer. I know there's some good veterans out there. I think if you're a top five pick from day one, you got to be ready to go. So I would love for him to go out there with some newly added weapons and some better talent than Darnold had. So I think Zach Wilson, day one, should be the starter. And for me, I'm just looking for those big plays. You know, he, he gets out of the pocket. He can make plays downfield. But overall, if he's in as a rookie, he's steady. He's making good decisions. I'm just looking forward to seeing him pulling it and, and start week one. This one, obviously not a mystery, but there's another first-round pick to be made for these Jets. Um, before we get there, and, and we'll see what the board looks like at that point, but what are maybe some positions that you're looking at, at getting at that point? Yeah, I think this is kind of a popular opinion, but just, for me personally, I think the Jets only can focus on two positions at the 23rd pick. I think you have to go corner or you have to go interior offensive line. I think you address receiver enough in the offseason and free agency. Maybe you take a receiver in day two or day three. But at 23, you need to improve the offensive line. And you didn't really address corner in the offseason at all. So for me, I think it has to be between those two positions. Zach Wilson, quarterback BYU, is the pick for the Jets at number two. He is NYJ Matt from Broadway Jets Podcast. Matt, we'll catch up again as we get closer to uh, the Jets' second pick in this first round. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Three. This is where it really happens. The San Francisco 49ers trade up to number three. They are on the clock making the pick with Blue Wire Podcast Network striking gold. He is Rob Lauder. Rob, they move all the way up to number three. What do the San Francisco 49ers do with this pick? Well, despite, man, I don't even know what to call it at this point because it was so exhausting. But despite the Mac Jones, I don't even know what the word to use for it. But despite all the Mac Jones garbage, I never thought that that could have been the pick. It just never felt like a guy that you could give up three first round picks you know, once you pick the player, you're giving up three first round picks to get. So uh, am I making my pick right now? Is it time? Yeah, let's let's hear it. I, I'm assuming it's, it's, it's not Mac Jones then. No, 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 no. I, I, I had to leave off with that because I felt like everybody and their mom was like, oh, it's Mac Jones. And, and it's all because these are the quarterbacks that Kyle Shanahan has had before. But I got to go with Justin Fields, Ohio State. There is a big part of me that wants to go Trey Lance because I have like a feeling in the back of my head that the 49ers really like Trey Lance. Um, but to me, that's pretty risky. Maybe a risk that if I'm, if I were in their position, I wouldn't be willing to tip to take. So you got to go with the guy that, that just seems like the obvious pick there in Justin Fields. I mean, that type of guy in Kyle Shanahan's offense would, would be what everybody wants to see. So, and I felt he was the only quarterback out of the three that can get you out of the conversation of having the worst quarterback in the NFC West, maybe not immediately, but eventually. So that that it, it was easy for me 
And uh, I couldn't wait to say not Mac Jones. <laughs> this has been such an interesting conversation. And look, when you when you look at these three guys that are being uh, talked about with Mac Jones, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance, two of these guys, it's really easy, I think, to just fall in love with the overall skill set, right? But we keep hearing Mac Jones attached to this number three pick, and I keep hearing it's it's because he's such a good fit for what Kyle Shanahan wants to do. What does that mean exactly? What What does he have, I guess, that these other two guys don't that makes him so much better at number three for San Francisco than seemingly anybody else. And what's, what's funny is, and they, that you're 100% correct. That's what they would all say is, Oh, he's a great fit. And I'm like, is he a great fit or is he just closest to what Kyle Shanahan's had up until this point? I mean, he, he had, he kind of stumbled upon Kirk cousins because RG three started to fall apart. And he obviously was the one kind of behind that pick. So he got to have, and if you go back, he did, Kyle Shanahan didn't even spend that much time with Kirk Cousins. For the amount of time he's connected with him, he hasn't even been with Kirk Cousins very much. And then he became the offensive coordinator for the Falcons, got Matt Ryan, you know, spent some time with the Texans, worked with Matt Schaub. And I feel like the guys that Kyle Shanahan has worked with, including Jimmy Garoppolo, have become like everybody just thinks that's the guy that fits his offense. When in reality, a lot of what Kyle Shanahan's stuff is, stuff is predicated off the run game. He wants a quarterback that can that can run his boot boot action, get out in space, make plays, and not to mention the fact that we all know. I mean, we saw when the 49ers got into the playoffs, a little bit had to do with Jimmy G, but they just wanted to run the ball all over everybody, and they had no problem doing it. And now all of a sudden, you get to run the ball with a quarterback that can run like a four four, or if you want to think about the other direction, Trey Lance, who might not run a four four but he just runs over linebackers and DBs. And like to me, it just seems like Kyle Shanahan is a lot sharper than I'm just going to go with this incredibly unathletic quarterback that just happens to, to throw well when they all can throw well. So I, I really I haven't been able to put it together, man. It, it just hasn't worked for me. The Justin Fields roller coaster ride from the end of the season where he played terrible in the Big Ten game to the semifinal game where all of a sudden he was like, absolutely the next quarterback after Trevor Lawrence to the national championship game. And then everything <laughs> that has followed that is it's, it's just such a wild ride. And I, I almost feel like we've reached this point where everybody in the NFL draft business is looking for reasons to pick Justin Fields apart rather than maybe evaluating him on the same scale as everybody else. It's true. And I, and I can never quantify it. Like I don't know where it's come from. I know there's there's dozens of reasons that people like to attribute to, including race. That comes up very often. We hear about it all the time. You just I don't know what I don't want to assume that's everybody's motives. You know, you don't want to assume the worst out of people. But it just seems like it happens every year, uh, you know, in a, in a completely different sense. Obviously, not not having to do with race. You had Josh Allen. And for the longest time, people thought he was going to be incredible. And then he did struggle a little bit in his last year in college, but it almost seems like people overthought it. And then after a couple of years, what do you know? Josh Allen is just obliterating teams, including the 49ers. And that's what I kept coming back to. I was like, how can Kyle Shanahan last season witness what Josh Allen almost single handedly did to their defense? Like a, what, despite not having Nick Bosa was like a top five defense and Josh Allen obliterated him. And, you know, he's lost to Patrick Mahomes. He has to deal with Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray all the time. And I just could not see him going, you know, I'm getting my ass kicked by all of these highly athletic guys. Let's go get Mac Jones. And and to me, Justin Fields is everything Kyle Shanahan could want. And I keep seeing all these statistics 
that kind of lend to how underrated Justin Fields is as a pocket passer. He, if you watch him play, he might be, there's times where you wish he'd run more, to be honest. Like he loves to stand in the pocket and make a throw and look downfield, which is a great quality. But for a guy that athletic, you would almost wish he would ran more because it's just, it's, he's so dangerous. So I don't know what people are, are so disappointed about with him, but it just seems like one of those things where people, I could see it. I don't want to ramble on too much here. (laughs) So much, so much of these picks have to do with the team they fall to and the team they, they land with. And I feel like, Whoever the 49ers get is probably jumping into one of the better situations a rookie quarterback could fall into in a long, long time. And it seems like so often that determines how much success they have. So I hope it's Justin Fields just for the sake of all those narratives to kind of fall apart when Kyle Shanahan gets a hold of him and and we see what he can do with a guy like that. Yeah, Good protection, good weapons around him and a defense that's going to keep you in every game. It doesn't seem to me like whoever it is is going to have a ton of urgency but uh, ultimately whether it's Mac Jones or Justin Fields is the plan to draft a quarterback and have that guy be the guy day one or is it to maybe ease whoever it is into the situation there's so many things that go into that I just think that I think ideally the 49ers I think the 49ers like Jimmy Garoppolo a lot obviously he just hasn't been reliable he hasn't been on the field in, a, in an ideal world, world for them, they roll into the season with Jimmy Garoppolo and they either they I mean, there's so many different ways where it works out for the 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo steps in the 49ers win games. That rookie quarterback gets time to sit and kind of that's your best case scenario. But even if Jimmy struggles, you get uh, you have that rookie quarterback that everybody is dying to see. So they go that route. And I, I think that ideally the 49ers want to roll into the season with Jimmy and give that rookie time without the pressure of, hey, you're the guy, here's the keys, good luck. But at the same time, if another team comes along that maybe has a high second-round pick or you know their best-case scenario, a late first-round pick, and they're like, all right, we'll take him, then I don't think they're, I don't think they're turning <laughs> that down. I think that, that they'd be fine giving it to the rookie at that point. The draft starts at number three, and in this mock draft, number three is Justin Fields, quarterback, Ohio State, to the San Francisco 49ers. From the Striking Gold podcast, he is Rob Lauder. Rob, appreciate the time as always. Hey, man, it's a pleasure. Do it again next year. I'll look for the mushroom cloud out west if uh, they call Mac Jones' name. (laughs) Oh, man. Joining us is Kevin Knight with thefalcoholic.com. Kevin, the Atlanta Falcons are on the clock with the number four pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. The Falcons select two. The Falcons will be selecting quarterback Trey Lance from North Dakota State with the fourth overall pick. Quarterback here. So this this has been quite a bit of speculation about whether they would pull the trigger on a quarterback in this spot. I guess my question would be, how much is this dependent on whether it's Trey Lance that's available, or do you think it it has anything to do with who's on the board? It definitely has something to do with it. Um, Me personally, I can only go off of what I know, and what I know is that I would be very happy selecting Justin Fields here in particular. Um, I suspect he's secretly the quarterback they want. They have not been connected to him or made much of an – uh, an overture to make it clear that they like him, which is suspicious to me because they've been around all the other quarterbacks. Um, but I also think they really like Trey Lance and the Falcons are one of those teams that can afford to sit Lance for a year, um, which I think is an ideal situation for him. So to me, those are the two players at the top of my board. Um, if for some reason they were both gone, which is not possible in my opinion, <laughs> considering what we know, right. then they'd probably consider Pitts there. Um, 
But really, I think the second most likely thing, if the quarterback they want isn't there, is is some sort of trade down. I know that wasn't an option in this mock, but um, you know, if someone gives them a, a suitably ridiculous offer for Trey Lance, uh, that could be an option as well. How how close is Atlanta right now to a, a tear down? <laughs> I don't know that they're really going to tear everything down. Um, I, I think they're looking at a two to three year window where they really want to be com- competing for playoff spots in 2023. Um, but they're in a really bad spot with Matt Ryan's contract uh, because the previous regime just kept basically using it to get easy money every year. Um, and then they left the the new regime with no choice. They had to restructure it again just to get enough space to sign 53 players to I mean, they don't even have enough to sign the draft class at this point. They're going to have to make more moves. So um, don't necessarily take the the big restructure as like a sign that they want to keep Ryan. But um, they're not keeping him at $48 million next year. I'll tell you that. They're, they're either going to extend him or they're going to cut trade and move on, depending on probably what happens with this pick. So, What are the other draft needs that, that you feel like have to be addressed, at least in the first couple rounds of this thing? I strongly believe they're going to take... Uh, an interior offensive lineman in the second round. Um, that's kind of where the meat of that position is. Um, I think Creed Humphrey is a name, Wyatt Davis, Landon Dickerson from Alabama. One of those guys is going to be there at 35. They have not done anything to address left guard. Like they've done nothing. Um, so they're kind of signaling that they, they plan to take a, a player there. They were sniffing around um, David Andrews, the Patriots center who ended up going back to new England um, in free agency. So I think they're very interested in interior offensive linemen, uh, edge rushers, cornerbacks. Uh, safety is a huge need. I would be shocked if they don't come away from day two with a safety. Um, and then a running back they need uh, not quite as bad since they signed Mike, Mike Davis, but um, that one's definitely up there as well. The Atlanta Falcons with the number four pick in the draft take Trey Lance, four quarterbacks in a row to start this mock draft. He is Kevin Knight with thefalcoholic.com. Kevin, appreciate the time, and we'll catch up again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. The Cincinnati Bengals are on the clock with the fifth overall pick. We are joined by Tyler Dragon covering the Bengals from the Cincinnati Inquirer. Tyler, with the fifth overall pick, the Cincinnati Bengals select two. Well, with the fifth overall pick, the Cincinnati Bengals select LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase. Uh, they believe that he is going to be an excellent player and uh, reunite with Joe Burrow, his former uh, quarterback at LSU during their 2019 national championship season. Now, let me, this is a little bit of a surprise. Let me first ask you about the offensive line situation because I, I kind of feel like throughout this draft process, Everybody on earth has penciled in an offensive lineman for the Cincinnati Bengals on the heels of Joe Burrow getting getting injured. So uh, what's the thought in terms of the offensive line situation with this fifth pick? And, and is it a situation where maybe they address that later? Well, let me be clear. If I was the Bengals GM, I would draft left tackle Panay Sewell out of Oregon. I believe offensive line is their biggest need, as you uh, just pretty much stated Joe Burrow was sacked 32 times last year at the time of his injury he was one of the most sacked quarterbacks in all of the NFL and he got injured on a play where his pocket collapsed on him and his offensive line was really um, getting decimated and he was under siege by the Washington football team's defensive line so it was a play where the offensive line pretty much failed him and the pocket collapsed on him 
Um, I do think the Bengals will address their offensive line in later rounds. Um, I believe round two and three, um, the team has said that they think they can get a starting caliber offensive alignment, either tackle or guard in the second or third round of uh, the upcoming draft. So with all that being said, I do expect the Bengals to address their O-line in the draft but not in round one based on what I'm hearing out of the organization and smoke signals that they are giving. (laughs) I think they are targeting uh, Jamar Chase out of LSU and they do have a need at wide receiver uh, with the departure of AJ Green. He signed with the Arizona Cardinals in free agency. So there is a need for another wide receiver. They do have Tyler Boyd and T Higgins, but Zach Taylor likes to run. An 11 personnel offense, and that is with three wide receivers on the field. So they, there's a hole right there in the outside, and they think that they can plug that hole in with Jamar Chase out of LSU. Let me ask you this. If, if they do go the pass catcher route, uh, is, is Kyle Pitts in play here at all? Kyle Pitts is in play. There is speculation that he could go number four to Atlanta. Uh, however, I believe the Bengals, they're targeting Jamar Chase because of his chemistry with Joe Burrow. Uh, he was arguably the best wide receiver in college football during um, that 2019 national championship at uh, LSU. He won the Fred Belinda Calk Award, and he was a unanimous All-American. He was Joe Burrow's number one target at LSU. So they believe that that puts him over the top and the number one pass catcher on their board based on his chemistry uh, with Joe Burrow. Jamar Chase, wide receiver, LSU is the pick at number five to the Cincinnati Bengals, covering the Bengals from the Cincinnati Inquirer. He is Tyler Dragon. Tyler, we really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on today. With the sixth pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Miami Dolphins are on the clock. Making the pick for us is Lewis Sung with Five Reasons Sports Network. Uh, Lewis, this is uh, this is a pretty interesting pick. Who are you going with at number six? So the pick, quite frankly, is a very easy one for me. It's not even something that I'm going to think twice about, quite frankly. And I'm so glad that the board fell this way because it takes a lot of the uh, pressure off the wide receiver situation because I am picking out of Florida – the tight end known as Kyle Pitts, and quite frankly, I'm so excited because he seems to be the kind of weapon that can change an offense instantly. From the very beginning, like for the longest time, I have been desperately begging for this double tight end set that the New England Patriots were successful with for so long. And now that we have a Brian Flores, who for all intents and purposes, you you can't say that he's anything but a Bill Belichick protege. I'm hoping that he's seeing the potential that having Mike Kosicki and Kyle Pitts on the same field at the same time can be. And let's be clear about something. For all the love that I like to give Mike Kosicki because he's really come onto his own since he became a weapon instead of a blocker, which Adam Gase, again, just, <clears throat> it makes me mad to think about it. But he's a great, Kosicki has great catch radius, he's a lot of that stuff, but he's just not nearly as smooth, as fluid as Kyle Pitts. So to have them on the same field together. Just just think of having another Darren Waller out there, and that's something – I don't even think that may be his ceiling. I think he could do more than that if he's given enough time to do so. So this is an easy pick for me. Let me ask you this, because Jamar Chase went with the selection before this. If Jamar Chase were on the board, would that have changed your mind? Because I, I've seen a lot of people penciling Jamar Chase into this pick. Is it Kyle Pitts no matter what? 
It's for me. It was Kyle Pitts, regardless of whether Chase was there or not. This 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 draft is full of wide receivers, and I mean stuffed to the gills with wide receivers. And the other thing that you have to take into consideration, and I don't think anybody's giving enough notice to this, what kind of a wide receiver is Jamar Chase? Is he the speed receiver? No. Is he the crisp route running receiver? No. What do they always say? I'm not saying he can't do those things. I'm not saying he doesn't have it. But what is it that they always point to when they say, this is Jamar Chase? His physicality, his ability to win on at the line, his ability to basically get physical with his defenders. Okay, that's fine, but is that not what Devontae Parker does? Is that not what Preston Williams does? So you already have guys who are built to do that on the roster, and they're going to be competing for roster spots. Don't misunderstand for even a second. So what we need to look for is somebody who can either – Add a new wrinkle to it because Pitts, technically speaking, is not a wide receiver. He's going to be used as such as a pass catcher, but he is a tight end. But in the sense of Chase, he's a wide receiver. That's where you line him up. That's where you use him. So that means that you're going to basically have three wide receivers who do the same thing. If Pitts had been taken and Chase was gone too, I would have wanted the Dolphins to trade back and see if they can get their hands on Jalen Waddle or Devonta Smith, because I think we can get both of those guys a little bit later on in the draft. So that's why for me, Pitts was the answer. No matter what, we need somebody who can add something different to the table, not more of the same. Miami will have another first round selection. Uh, obviously, we've got a ways to go before we get there. But what are some possibilities positionally that you would be considering there? So at that point, I'm either looking at running back, and I'm not sure that the Dolphins agree with this philosophy based on how they've been treating running backs in the past. But if it were me, I'd pick Najee Harris. I want – it's not even just because I think he's the best running back in this draft. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe it is Travis Etienne. Maybe it is uh, some of these other guys, Javante Williams. But I want to give Tua at least a little bit of that familiarity from Alabama and what made that offense work when he was there. You've seen all the reports that Najee Harris and Tua, they, they consider themselves like blood brothers and stuff like that. Well, that's all, that's great. Terrific. I would love to be able to give you somebody that you know very well that you have this familiarity with that you have this chemistry with right off the bat. So already you feel like, okay, I'm home again. Let's go ahead and make this work. Now, if that doesn't work and Harris is taken already for some reason, or maybe the dolphins, again, they don't decide to focus on running back so much. Then since we took pits at tight end, I will try to look wide receiver. I will see if maybe we can get our hands on a pass rusher, Gregory Rousseau, for instance, as an option there, if he's still available. So, or again, Try to look at that offensive line. You always got to think about the offensive line in Miami because that always seems to be a question mark. I'm not saying Austin Jackson was a mistake. I'm saying he needs to grow more. Robert Hunt, same deal. Solomon Kinley, same deal. Everybody has work to do. But if you can find a place to upgrade there, then I'm looking at need and potential talent. That's why I take Pitts first because while it may not be a need – there's so much potential there to make a, such a strong offense at six. So, and after that, well, let's see how the board falls. Home run with the Kyle Pitts pick. I think he's the best non-quarterback in this draft. Kyle Pitts, number six to the Miami Dolphins. He is Lewis Sung with Five Reasons Sports Network on the mock draft. Lewis, always appreciate it. We'll catch up again a little bit later in the first round. All right, sounds good. See you then. The number seven pick in the draft belongs to the Detroit Lions. Joining us from the Detroit Free Press is Dave Burkett. Dave, with the seventh pick, the Lions select two. Maybe a little bit of a surprise, but the Lions are taking Oregon offensive tackle Panay Sewell at number seven. 
Most feel like this is the best offensive lineman in the draft. They acquired Jared Goff uh, in a trade this offseason. I guess my biggest question to you would be, do they feel so good about Jared Goff that if Trey Lance or Justin Fields were on the board, they would say, you know what, we, we like our position. How, how do you feel their evaluation of that situation would be? Yeah, that's a really good question, and, and that's something that I'm still trying to get an answer for because I think the Lions still need a long-term solution at the quarterback position. Um, I think if you caught them in an honest moment, you know, they'd, they'd say the same. But um, you're right. Look, I mean, Jared Goff's 26 years old. He played in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. He has a history with with Brad Holmes. Um, so, you know, they might feel comfortable rolling with him, at least for the short term, and, and seeing what, what he has there, what they have in him. And, uh, you know, obviously, neither Trey Lance nor Justin Fields was available in, in this mock draft. And, and I might have you know, go in that direction had they been there. But I think the one thing that the Lions have going for them at the quarterback position, if they do decide to take a quarterback, is that they don't need that guy to play right away. So a guy like Trey Lance, you know, if you think he's going to be a, a, a guy at quarterback, right, if you really like what he can be, you don't need him right away. So you can take him and you can have a good developmental plan for him and let him sit the bench in the 2021 season. This to me is maybe the most fascinating pick of the entire top 10 because I feel like every mock draft I look at has a different name penciled in. Sometimes it's Micah Parsons or maybe it's a cornerback or as, as you took the, uh, the offensive lineman. Uh, is, is this just a team that probably needs to take best player available if they don't do something like that? I think, you know, that's what it comes down to is that they have a lot of holes. So you can really you can really go anywhere and you're picking that high. You know, you, you don't want to pass on blue chip talent. I, I think, you know, when I look at the draft for the Lions, it really, you know, there's going to be three quarterbacks go with the first three picks. We all know that, you know, if there's four that go in the first four, that's going to leave the Lions with one of, you know, Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts. And, and I don't think they would you know, discriminate based on position. I think they would take whoever is left among those three. The one caveat being if they really do like a quarterback or really do want a quarterback, uh, you know, and, and that guy is left there at seven for them, then you take that position. So I think that's what it comes down to for the Lions. If only three quarterbacks go and and, and then all three of those top, you know, players that are non-quarterbacks go, I think that's when, when the Lions have a bit of a decision to make. So no Mac Jones love affair is what you're telling me. You know, I haven't got that sense. I mean, um, you know, Brad Holmes, look, the Lions' new general manager, he was at the pro day for Trey Lance. He was at the pro day for Justin Fields. He was at the pro day for Zach Wilson. Um, I, I don't, I don't know for sure that I, I don't know if he, I don't know that he was at the pro days for, for Mac Jones. Doesn't mean that he wasn't there. I just don't have that confirmed yet. Um, but regardless, uh, Dan Campbell has, has, yeah, a stated preference for getting a, a mobile quarterback, uh, one that has some athleticism. So, I think a guy like a Trey Lance or maybe even a Justin Fields would fit better into that for the Lions. Panay Sewell is the pick offensive tackle from Oregon, number seven overall to the Detroit Lions. From the Detroit Free Press, he is Dave Burkett. Dave, always appreciate it. You got it. We'll do it again. The Carolina Panthers are on the clock with the number eight pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. Joining us, covering the Panthers from DraftTech.com and the C3 Podcast, he is Cody Lashney. Cody, with the number eight pick, the Carolina Panthers select who? The Carolina Panthers are going to select Rashawn Slater, left tackle from Northwestern. And this is something the Panthers have sorely been in need of for a long time. Now that the most recent Sam Darnold trade has sort of taken us out of the quarterback conversation, 
this is a huge position of need for the Carolina Panthers, um, one that they frankly failed to fill during Cam Newton's tenure in Carolina, and one that they pretty much have to get correct if they have any chance of rejuvenating the career of Sam Darnold. Let me ask you this, because we've all penciled in a quarterback for this draft pick until that trade was made. Yeah. Are they so sold on Sam Darnold that if, for instance, uh, Trey Lance and Justin Fields were available here, that they would for sure stay away from the quarterback? Or do you think that's still a possibility? I wish I could tell you for sure. Um, <laughs> Scott, Scott Fitterer um, in his press conference said that you can never have too many good quarterbacks. Um, and that they're not opposed to taking a quarterback if one's available. The problem is, I just don't know how their draft board looks. And I, what I seem to think is that the coaches in Carolina have seemed to place their bets on Sam Darnold's misfortunes were due to a terrible head coach who every player who leaves his tutelage goes on to blossom under someone else, um, a lack of high-quality receiving weapons, save for Robbie Anderson, who he gets to reunite with here in Carolina, um, and a terrible uh, offensive line that had Sam Darnold pressured 537 times over the course of three years. The Panthers have better weapons. They have a better coaching staff. Now, in order to really distance themselves from the Jets, they have to upgrade that offensive line and give Sam time to dump off to Christian McCaffrey read the opposing defense, and make better decisions than what he was with the Jets. How significant an upgrade is Sam Darnold from what they had last year? Significant. Listen, on our podcast um, for over a year, I, I have just never been a believer in Teddy Bridgewater. It's nothing against the man. He has a great success story. But the man is allergic to throwing the football down the field. And it's a real problem. It, it limits your offense when you're only able to affect certain areas of the football field. The Panthers had one of the worst red zone offenses in the NFL because when the field shortened up and they were able to clamp down on all the underneath stuff uh, and having no Christian McCaffrey most of the year, it rendered our offense pretty much inept. So the, the physical upgrades from Donald to Bridgewater are just, or vice versa rather, are just tremendous. And the Panthers are banking that Joe Brady, who saw Joe Burrow elevate his success to a first-round pick, that Joe Brady's offense can hopefully do something similar to Sam, who honestly has comparable physical traits to a Joe Burrow. Rashawn Slater, offensive tackle from Northwestern, is the pick as the Panthers acquire Sam Darnold, so they get him some protection with the number eight overall selection. He is Cody Lashney, covering the Panthers for DraftTech.com and the C3 Podcast. Cody, appreciate it. Thanks, Colby. The number nine pick in the NFL draft belongs to the Denver Broncos. Joining me from MileHighReport.com is Joe Rouse. Joe, with the ninth pick, the Denver Broncos do what? The Denver Broncos select Patrick Sertan, the second out of Alabama. We, looking at our secondary, we just believe that he can step in if need be as a rookie. And down the road, we see him as a very high ceiling, very high floor player. We we love him, love the character, think he can be an eraser at the next level. Um, pedigree, everything. So easy pick for us. How much of that is best player available? How much of that is need? Or is it a, a combination of both? A lot of it is uh, best player available uh, because we signed Kyle Fuller and we got Ronald Darby. 
we actually have cornerbacks for this year, we think, you know, barring health, obviously. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's a passing league. Cornerbacks are never going to be more valuable than they are now. Uh, and we're looking at we're looking ahead a little bit. Kyle Fuller's on a one-year contract. Bryce Callahan's contract expires after this year. Sertan gives us a guy who can step in as a starter next year. And if anything, any sort of injury strikes, we believe in him. There's been a lot of talk about five quarterbacks potentially going in the top 10. The Denver Broncos are obviously the last of the top 10 teams that could be in the market for a quarterback. You didn't choose Mac Jones, who was the only one available. But my question would be, if it had been Trey Lance or perhaps Justin Fields that slides down, is the pick any different? Yes. Uh, both Justin Fields and Trey Lance are higher on our board than Patrick Sertan. Uh if we had actually tried to call up to try and get up to get Justin Fields, just didn't, you know, just didn't work out in our favor. We wish him all the luck. Uh, but no, the the big issue we have with Mac Jones is just we we don't see him as a huge upgrade on Drew Locke immediately. Uh, and we would rather give Drew Locke an honest chance than get kind of stirred up into a giant con- controversy with quarterbacks and then potentially be locked into this situation for the next couple of years anyway. Um, we're going to give Drew Locke a chance, probably go and try and find a veteran backup competition maybe and if we need to look at quarterback in 2022 we will before i let you run what are the needs that you feel like denver has to address in the early rounds of this draft oh i i would really like to try and see if we can get a linebacker in round two Uh, i thought about micah parsons but i just i really like this class Uh, i also think we definitely could use a right tackle juan james has played 65 snaps for us over the last two years he opted out last year can't hold that against him obviously but we don't know what the future holds with the contract situation. Uh, we would like to get a developmental right tackle who can eventually step in and be a starter. Patrick Sertan, the second, is the pick to the Denver Broncos, ninth overall in our mock draft. He is Joe Riles, milehighreport.com. Joe, always appreciate it. We'll catch up again soon. Yeah, thanks so much. The Dallas Cowboys are on the clock with the 10th pick in the NFL draft. America's team selects John Machota from The Athletic. Who do the Dallas Cowboys take? They take J.C. Horn, the cornerback out of South Carolina, and it's just because the options that were left are really pretty close to worst-case scenario for the Cowboys. I mean, literally, when when you sent me the picks, I was just looking, at, and, and like literally the four guys that all went right before the Cowboys picked are all the ones that you would look at would be perfect. Patrick Sertan, he goes right before the Cowboys to Denver. That would That's the perfect fit. I think most mock drafts that you'd look at would have Patrick Sertan going there. Corner's a huge need, so with Sertan gone, J.C. Horn's probably the next guy there. So in the scenario you gave, this would look like a great <laughs> opportunity to trade down, to be honest with you. And, and and Mac Jones is still available. Like in this situation, if the Cowboys are faced with this, you know, maybe getting the Patriots from 15 to come up to get Mac Jones would make a lot of sense. But yeah, Kyle Pitts, Penny Sewell, Rashawn Slater, Patrick Sertan, all those four going right before the Cowboys. Like each one of those – Makes perfect sense for the Cowboys. Not, not that J.C. Horn's a bad consolation prize, but um, yeah, out of what you gave me, I think that I think Horn's the best route for them. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Let me ask you this: as far as Sertan being available, do you get the feeling? Because I think most people view cornerback as the biggest immediate need. Uh, obviously, there is a need at tackle. If the tackles and Sertan are all available. In your mind, do the Dallas Cowboys value getting one of those premier tackles ahead of a guy that could start at corner immediately? Well, actions speak louder than words, <laughs> and their actions have been for a long time that if it's close, they'll usually lean towards the offense. And and if 
last year would have been different, I would say no. But because you lose, you lost Lyle Collins for the entire season. You lost Tyron Smith for, for 14 games, and he's missed three games in each of the previous four seasons before that. So offensive tackle makes sense. I mean, that's a position that they've coveted, that they've, you know, their offensive line in general, they've spent high picks on. So I, as much as Cowboys fans want to see them finally address this defense, I think that they would probably lean towards the offensive tackle there. And, and honestly, the way this draft is set up, there still should be starting caliber corners when they go on the clock in their second round pick. I doubt that there's going to be a starting caliber offensive tackle unless something unforeseen happens. And so if, if Penny Sewell or Rashawn Slater are there, I think they would lean in that direction where it gets really wild is if Kyle Pitts is there. And it's like, are you really going, you needed defense last year and you took CD lamb in the first round. Well, you need defense this year. And then to add another offensive weapon like that, um, it would be a very mixed bag here in Dallas on that. I think the consensus amongst fans right now is they hope Patrick Sertan gets there. And then you can pair the two Alabama corners with Sertan and Trayvon Diggs together for the next, you know, five, maybe 10 years. Look, Kyle Pitts, I think, is the best non-quarterback player in this draft. I think needs aside, that just seems like a no-brainer no matter who you are. Uh, certainly with what the Cowboys did a year ago with CeeDee Lamb, you know, they, they've shown that if they value you high enough, they'll pull the trigger anyway. Uh, as, as far as Kyle Pitts, there's a little bit of smoke around Jerry Jones being so infatuated with him that he wouldn't even trade up. That seems a little far-fetched to me given how many needs the Cowboys have and what it would cost to move up. And look, there, there's, there is a possibility that, that a bunch of quarterbacks get taken and maybe Pitts is available at 10. But just speak on the likelihood that Dallas would consider giving up draft capital to move up in this top 10. Yeah, I think Kyle Pitts goes top five. And so I don't see them parting ways with enough ammo, even though they do have it this year with, with their 10 picks. I don't think that they would want to get up to five. Now, if he was to fall to maybe seven or eight and they were trying to get up there maybe and he was still available... I don't think you can count it out, but there is a perception with Jerry Jones that he kind of just does whatever he wants. And that's not really the case. And it really hasn't been. I mean, the, the Cowboys have, have stuck to their board and drafted relatively well for the better part of the last decade. And as bad as things were last year for the Cowboys, if, if you were to point to one thing that went well, it, it was their draft. I mean, they really drafted and let the board kind of come to them. They really didn't reach for anything. And so, while it makes headlines because of who Jerry Jones is, and then you mix in a guy like Kyle Pitts with this offense, and it, and it certainly would make it one of the best, if you know, not the best offenses in the league, if that was to happen. I just don't see it, and mainly it's because, like I said, I think I think Pitts goes top five, and I think it would just cost too much to get up there to, to get from ten to five. What you'd have to give up, I, I just think you would really only do that for a quarterback. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, because of the draft success a year ago, what's what's the draft plan for Jones? Is he going back to the draft yacht? I mean, to me, that makes all the sense in the world, right? Try and recreate the magic. Yeah, with how well it worked last year for them, uh, I would think that he would have to at least consider it. But I, but I'll say this: just being around Jerry for the last you know ten years, he is such a people person that um, I, I I can guarantee you that the pandemic has hit him pretty hard because of the fact that he just genuinely likes to be around people. And he just, I mean, he genuinely likes just talking to people. And I, and I'm, I'm sure being on that yacht, although it got good results, he wants to be, he loves being in that draft room with, with everyone and, and talking over scenarios and things like that. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that he really enjoys about being, you know, the owner and general manager of the Dallas Cowboys. And so while that makes a lot of sense, um, and if, 
if we had that yacht, we probably would be doing that. But <laughs> no, I think I think he's looking forward to getting back in the draft room this year. And, and Mike McCarthy, too, you know, he was out in Green Bay. He went back home to Green Bay during the draft last year because everything was done virtually. I think you'll see him back in Dallas, too. I think it'll be more like a traditional draft room. It's the worst case scenario for the Dallas Cowboys. J.C. Horn, number 10 to the Dallas Cowboys. Joining us from The Athletic is John Machota. John, always appreciate the time. We'll catch up again soon. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. The New York Giants are on the clock at number 11 and making the pick from GiantsCountry.com and Locked on Giants podcast is Patricia Trena. Patricia, at number 11, the Giants will select two. Well, the two guys that I really wanted at number 11, they are gone. That would be Kyle Pitts and Rashawn Slater. So I'm going to go with the original plan, and that is receiver Jalen Waddell out of Alabama. And I'm picking Waddell because, you know, look, in terms of um, need, the Giants, to me, I mean, you can never have too many receivers. And, and their scoring offense last year, I don't have to tell you, it was one of the worst in the league. I think it was ranked 31st. So you bring in an extra receiver. Now, what I like about Jalen Waddell is he could play both inside and in the slot. So he gives you that versatility. And I think that's important because, you know, even though the Giants just signed Kenny Galladay to a long-term contract, they also have John Ross to a one-year contract. This way they have additional reinforcement. You know, Sterling Shepard is getting up there, you know, in age. He's, he's missed part of his last two seasons due to injury. John Ross is only here for one year. You know, you have Darius Slayton, who's who's a young uh, up-and-comer. So, you know, down the line, I could see a potential threesome of uh, Waddle, Galladay, and Slayton, you know, if the Giants decide to move on from Sterling Shepard. I've, I've been fascinated by the Jalen Waddle-Devontae Smith debate throughout this draft process. Is it the versatility for you with Jalen Waddle to take him over Devontae Smith? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at number 11, if you're going to pick, pick a guy – to me, he better be versatile. You know, you want to optimize that pick. And I think Devonta Smith has had some snaps in the slot, but not as many as uh, as Jalen Waddle has. So I just would give the nod to Jalen Waddle because he has played more slot snaps. He could also play outside, like I mentioned. And, you know, both of them are very productive receivers. It was a tough uh, decision to make, but I I'm going with the versatility. The Giants, like most teams that are selecting high in the draft, have multiple needs. So what are some other positions that you could potentially see addressed with this pick? Well, I would have liked, like I said, offensive line. But the only guys um, for offensive line at number 11 I would have considered, had they been there, is Panay Sewell of Oregon and Rashawn Slater of Northwestern. Um, the Giants' offensive line is not yet settled. You know, we don't know who's going to play right guard we're not quite sure if, you know, Matt Parrott is going to play right tackle or how that's going to work out. So I think that that unit is is unsettled. The other position I would have considered is edge rusher. The Giants haven't drafted an edge rusher in day one or day two of the draft since 2010 when they took Jason Pierre-Paul. That's a long stretch of time. They tried to plug edge rusher up through a series of, you know, day three picks, um, you know, and, and it just, it hasn't worked to date. Now, Lorenzo Carter is the closest they've come, but Lorenzo Carter, he's coming off an Achilles injury and he's in the final year of his rookie deal. So to me, I, I think edge rusher would be the other priority. I would, I would emphasize if, you know, all those receivers were not available at 11. Jalen Waddle, wide receiver, Alabama, is the number 11 pick to the New York Giants from GiantsCountry.com and Locked on Giants podcast. She is Patricia Trena. Patricia, always appreciate it. 
Thank you. The Philadelphia Eagles are on the clock at number 12. They trade down out of the number six pick. Joining us from the Farzee Show, you can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Twitter. Mark Farzetta covering the Philadelphia Eagles. Farzee, what do the Eagles do at number 12? Well, uh, they are going to take a wide receiver, which I know a lot of Eagles fans will be excited about because even a top 12 wide receiver in this type of draft is what we like to call here in Philadelphia, Howie Roseman proof. You can't mess it up like he did last year with Jalen Rager. And also with Justin Jefferson passing on that pick to take Jalen Rager. So I think he tries to right the ship this time around with Devontae Smith. I think it'll be a perfect fit for this Eagles offense because this Eagles offense needs some sure hands like Devontae Smith. And they also need somebody that can come in here with some speed, also Devontae Smith. And when he won the Heisman Trophy, I thought that that was a stamp of approval from Eagles fans to say, Howie, you can't mess this one up. If he's there, you got to get him. Originally, you thought you'd be able to get him uh, right there at number six. Turns out he's probably going to fall to that number 12 spot and be available for the Eagles to take at the number 12 overall pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. And I can't think of a more perfect person to fit the Eagles board than Devontae Smith at that spot. This is exactly who I thought they were going to take at six. And the fact that they moved down to 12 just basically said that they loved any of those pass catchers at 12, regardless of which one fell, right? Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about it. I think... One of the things they have to look at right now from an uh, outsider's uh, perspective is the fact that they didn't get a guy last year in Jalen Rager that was a burner. They got a guy last year that was hurt a lot of last year. And they also took Jalen Hurts, of course, in the second round, who is right now their starting quarterback. I say right now because he's not a franchise quarterback, at least not yet. I hope that he can be because no one wants to believe that the franchise quarterback is not already on the roster. But I think that's the case right now in Philadelphia. So if uh, Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie, the guys calling the shots, making the decisions here in Philadelphia, if they want to make last year's second round pick of Jalen Hurts look good, they should surround him with talent. If not, and they mortgage the future essentially by by disrupting the apple cart and upsetting Carson Wentz, which just led to the demise of that whole attempt to build him as a franchise quarterback. If they did that for a guy that was only going to be a backup for this team at best and have no shot at being a legitimate franchise quarterback, man, they're going to have even more egg on their face than allowing their team to fall apart in the three years since they won that Super Bowl against New England. You say surround him with weapons like Devontae Smith. I asked the question, and and look, I covered him at Oklahoma. Um, Can Devontae Smith... Take advantage of, of Jalen Hurts. That's a that's a question that needs to be answered. Mm-hmm. And I think the only way to find that is to go ahead and draft Devontae Smith. Go ahead and do it, Howie. Uh, so when, when I look at this offense right now, I see Dallas Goddard still going to be here. Zach Ertz probably not going to be here, but you also have Miles Sanders. And I think you also have Jalen Rager, who I think is a legit NFL wide receiver and will be a playmaker in this league. Put another wide receiver out there for Jalen Hurts. Allow him to make some plays with his legs. Let those speed guys get open downfield. And then I think this Eagles offense will have a lot of flash that it's been missing really over the last three seasons. The Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith, wide receiver, Alabama, goes number 12 to the Philadelphia Eagles. He is Mark Farzetta from the Farzee Show. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on his Twitter, at Mark Farzetta. Farzee, always appreciate it, man. Colby, always a pleasure, brother. Take it easy. The L.A. Chargers are on the clock at pick number 13. Joining us from the Orange County Register is Gilbert Manzano. Gilbert, with the 13th pick in this NFL draft, the Chargers select who? Elijah Vera Tucker from USC. They're going to keep it local and get versatile with uh, an interior lineman and a left tackle. I I like this pick a lot. Let me ask you this. Is this a situation where it's best player available? Is this a situation where it is a need pick, or is it maybe a combination of both? 
A little bit of both because it would have been enticing if Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith were their good wide receivers, but they don't fill a need. Now, the need and the, the home run pick would be Rashawn Slater and Panay Sewell. You get everything. But the next guys for me, you're, you're talking about need left tackle, Elijah Vera Tucker. Now, best player available is still Tucker because that, that uh, versatility on the inside. This guy could be a future all pro as a guard, but you still get that upside left tackle. And I know the Chargers need a left tackle, but who knows? We don't know about these needs. Needs change all the time. You'd rather have a cornerstone playing in the interior for the next 10 years, and you're set. And hey, he gets hurt. You know, move him to the left side, see how that works out. But I think he could play both positions. I think for the Chargers, we have a lot of injury concerns. The more you can do, the better. I can't imagine anybody expected exactly the season that we got from Justin Herbert a year ago. But, I mean, he was so good, in fact, that it kind of felt like he masked a lot of the issues on that offensive line. Yeah, and that's why, you know, it's good to see the Chargers not just, you know, relying on Justin Herbert's arm to kind of, you know, it was a very bad offensive line a year ago, but he made them look better. So you can't just rely on him to do everything. But now you got to think about the next four or five years. And, yeah, you sign some veterans, but veterans get kind of old fast in the NFL. You get a young stud like Vera Tucker to kind of be with uh, Herbert for the next, you know, five, six years. You're, 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 you're well off. And I, and I know, you know, there's concerns about Vera Tucker at left tackle. But you ask every draft expert, they say, and then, and then inside, in the interior, He's a future all-pro, and I don't get you know what's wrong with that as a kind of a safe floor. Absolutely. If you're going just strictly based off of needs, what are some of the other possibilities here at Thursday at thirteen? Yeah, when I was looking at the, the mock draft, uh, you know, I was thinking for the Chargers' sake, if J.C. Horn is there, you you might want to take him because they need a cornerback. After Casey Hayward got uh, let go and released, they haven't replaced him. There's still a hole there on the opposite side of Michael Davis on the outside. But the good thing about this draft, there's a lot of good cornerbacks in the second and third round you could get. Maybe an Asante Samuel uh, from Florida State if he's still hanging around in the second round for the Chargers. But uh, I think Veritech is going to be a good uh, fit for them if they do go that route. But they got to get a cornerback sometime in, in the next couple rounds coming up for the Chargers. Elijah Vera Tucker, offensive lineman, USC, is the pick to the L.A. Chargers at 13. From the Orange County Register, he is Gilbert Manzano. Gilbert, always appreciate it, my friend. Thank you for having me on. The number 14 pick in the draft is the Minnesota Vikings. Dustin Baker from VikingsTerritory.com makes the selection. So with the 14th pick um, in the Minnesota Vikings, we are going to select Micah Parsons from Penn State. It's not necessarily a dire roster need, but um, one of the current linebackers, Anthony Barr, is scheduled to be a free agent next offseason and this team is built upon defense especially with the defense first head coach therefore they won't let this best player available be passed up at number 14 and Zimmer gets his bar replacement the defense gets better and hopefully they'll get some offensive linemen in the later rounds or have some sort of free agent plan that has not yet come to fruition Parsons 14. Micah Parsons, linebacker, Penn State, goes to the Minnesota Vikings with the number 14 pick, thanks to Dustin Baker with VikingsTerritory.com. The New England Patriots are on the clock at 15. Joining us from TouchdownWire.USAToday.com, he is Mark Schofield. Mark, I think your exact words were worst-case scenario. Uh, at number 15, the New England Patriots select two. They select Mac Jones. Um, but when you sent me this board and I saw the way the first 14 picks went, I, it was a little literal like lump in the throat kind of <laughs> moment because I was just like, man, if the board falls this way, um, Mac Jones would probably have to be the pick. I, I'd imagine that if it were to play out like this, they'd try to trade down 
New England has a big gap between their pick at 46 in the second round and the Brady comp pick at 96. There's a gap of 50 picks there that they might try to fill in, you know, if especially if the board fell this way, but even if the board doesn't fall this way. Um, but Mac Jones, look, Mac Jones at 15, I can live with it. You know, if they have to go trade up to get Mac Jones and give up future first round picks or something like that, then I think it's a price too steep for the Patriots to pay. To pay. Uh, but Mac Jones at 15, I can live with it. You know, accurate passer, moves well in the pocket, understands protections, understands offense. I I could live with it at 15. You know, there are some other names you could consider here. You could consider, say, a Rashad Bateman, right? The wide receiver from um, Minnesota who they do have a need at wide receiver. They've missed on wide receivers in the past. But now with the Edelman retirement, there's still questions about the wide receiver position. So I think that would make some sense. Caleb Fairley, the corner from Virginia Tech, now, obviously, he has the back issue, but I know they have J.C. Jackson. I know they have Stephon Gilmore, but there are expectations that they might need to move one of those players. Jackson's entering the final season of his rookie deal, and so getting a corner might make some sense. But we'll go with the quarterback here and hope that we can get him coached up and ready to play in the NFL. It's interesting. Mac Jones is a guy that maybe Kyle Shanahan seemingly is the only guy on planet Earth that that seems to just love this guy. The, the 49ers in this mock draft didn't want him. Uh, and it, it's kind of one of those things, I think, when I talk to people, everybody's just kind of like, oh, Mac Jones, okay, if I end up with him, fine. But it's it's not really – the skill set, I think, compared to guys like Justin Fields and Trey Lance just doesn't wow you, right? Is that is that yeah, the thing? Yeah, Colby, I, I think that's right. He's one of those guys that, you know, you can look at him and say, yeah, he can run the offense, right? He's going to make the right throws, make the right decisions, check the football down. But he doesn't really – look like the kind of player that can transcend an offense that can raise the level of play and everybody around them that can give you an extra element with that athletic ability that he can be a factor of the run game that he can scramble and extend and make plays and the ability of a young quarterback to extend plays it's a huge thing for young QBs because it gives them more time to read concepts and allows them to sort of make better decisions with the football Jones doesn't offer that the way guys like Fields and Lance and some of the others do and so that's why I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I'd love to get a Fields or a Lance if I, you know, I'm in a position where I have to draft Mac Jones. Like, okay, we can make it work. But those other guys sort of transcend schemes. This guy's a bit more scheme dependent as a QB. My buddy Eric G was on the podcast with me this morning. He's a big Patriots fan. And as he signed off, he said, Zaven Collins to the Patriots. Uh, so I, I have to bring that up. Zaven Collins, what do you yeah. think? Yeah. I, I love Damon Collins. Um, he, he's such a fantastic sort of linebacker for the modern game. And I gave a lot of thought to him here. Um, he reminds me a lot of Jamie Collins, who obviously spent some time in New England. Big, athletic, huge frame, tough to throw over, tough to throw around. One of those guys that can impact the, both the run game and the pass game. What was interesting was studying him both against you know, seeing him against a team like BYU where they're, you know, you know, Oklahoma State was the game I was thinking of where they throw the ball a ton. Then he's going up against Navy with the, you know, the flex bone triple option. He's handling those really well. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Belichick really loves this kid and he might be a, a, an option for them at 15. And if that's the way they go, I could see it. Again, those comparisons to Jamie Collins make me think it would be a possibility. Mark, always great info, my friend. I appreciate your time and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks so much, Colby. Have a great time doing this, my friend. From the Arizona Republic, Bob McManaman makes the number 16 pick for the Arizona Cardinals. At 16, it looks like the Cardinals do have to take Greg Newsom at cornerback with the top two corners off the board, the top three wide receivers off the board. It seems like the best option for them, and I think they will do that. They could take a look 
and some other players, but uh, if it comes to cornerback, it's really between Newsom and Caleb Farley, I think, because of Caleb Farley's injury history, they might lean more towards Newsom. Either way, they can't mess with with Newsom, and, and Farley's not a bad choice either. They decide to stick with a cornerback at 16. Greg Newsom, corner out of Northwestern, is the pick at number 16 to the Arizona Cardinals. From the Arizona Republic, Bob McManaman making the pick. The 17th pick in the draft belongs to the Las Vegas Raiders. Joining us from Raiders All-22 Film is Sanjeet T. Sanjeet, at 17, the Raiders select who? The Raiders have three big needs. Free safety, defensive tackle, and right tackle. Although Christian Derisaw and Tevin Jenkins would be a great fit to play that right tackle position, the Raiders would be wise to take a defensive tackle, and the best defensive tackle coming out is still on the board, and that is Christian Barmore from Alabama. The Raiders have brought in three defensive linemen this offseason, but none have the ceiling that Christian Barmore has. Barmore is an explosive three-technique pass-rushing defensive tackle. He plays with great pad level. He's fluid in his movement, and he has an explosive first step. And for the Raiders, who have been missing an interior pass-rushing defensive tackle, Barmore would line up primarily in the three technique for the Raiders' 4-3 defense, which is exactly where he played last year in that Alabama Crimson Tide defense. Plus, Gus Bradley gets a weapon to turn this defense into a top-tier defense. Barmore makes too much sense with the 17th pick. Christian Barmore, defensive tackle, Alabama, goes number 17 to the Las Vegas Raiders thanks to Sanjeet T from Raiders All-22 Film. The Miami Dolphins are back on the clock. They took Kyle Pitts with the number six pick in the NFL draft. They are back at number 18. We are joined once again by Lewis Sung from Five Reasons Sports Network. Lewis, with the 18th pick in this draft, the Miami Dolphins select who? They select Najee Harris out of Alabama. I said when we were doing the sixth overall pick that Harris was going to be my main target, but let me tell you something. The way that the board fell and all the top prospects that were still available that you showed me on the list, I'm like, oh my goodness gracious. Like This is one of those situations where I wish trading down again was an option because you still had Gregory Rousseau there. He would have been an awesome pass rushing option. Harris, of course, was still available. All the top running backs pretty much were still available. So... If I were Chris Greer and I'm sitting there at 18 and all these guys that are still available that were there, if the board actually falls that way, I'm going to see if I can try to trade down again and try to get some extra draft capital. Because let me tell you something. The real way to win in the draft, I feel, and I think the Dolphins are kind of going with this philosophy as well, is that to succeed in the draft, the more darts you can throw at the board, the better shot you have at hitting the bullseye. Absolutely. And that's that's where Miami has to be looking at this because if they are trying to build through the draft, they need a lot of shots to hit those bullseyes so that they can uh, trim the fat later. The thing about taking a running back in the first round is you almost can't afford to miss with one of those darts, right? I mean, it's a position that's been devalued so much, and every year we see these guys come out of nowhere in the fourth and fifth and maybe even sixth rounds and have success. So when you take one of those guys like a Najee Harris in round one, he's got to hit. He does have to hit, and I'm and but you know what? This isn't the end of the world if he doesn't, because again, we've already gotten our superstar player in Kyle Pitts in the first round. That's the luxury of what Chris Greer has basically done over these past couple of seasons is that Miami has had two, even three shots in the first round to find that superstar guy. Now, 
last year's first round, Austin Jackson, Tua, um, Noah Igbenogany. We're still waiting to see the results on those. Hopefully it works out in the in the end. They develop because those guys were like very top end projects. They weren't for finished products. So they're looking to see if they can develop into the potential that they had. But with Harris, you know pretty much exactly what you're getting. You're basically saying, yes, he's supposed to be the bulldozer. He's supposed to be, uh, a, I guess you, I guess we can say he's a poor man's Derrick Henry, which is ironic because he also came out of there. So you, we, if he can at least become even three-fourths of what Derrick Henry is, then as far as I'm concerned, that is a major hit. Because Miami has been missing that kind of a running back ever since the Ricky Williams days. No, no disrespect at all to Ronnie Brown. I know Ronnie. He's a really good guy. But he's not. he wasn't the superstar running back that set the NFL on fire. We need one of those guys. Ryan Tannehill is finding success in Tennessee right now. And I love Tannehill, but let's not kid ourselves. If Derrick Henry wasn't Derrick Henry, he wouldn't be having quite as much success as he's having right now. Well, it's weapons for Tua, Kyle Pitts at 6, Najee Harris at 18 to the Miami Dolphins. He is Lewis Sung with 5 Reasons Sports Network joining us. Lewis, once again, always appreciate you. All right. Thank you, Colby. Nice to be here. The 19th pick in the draft belongs to the Washington football team. Making the selection from the Washington Times is Matthew Paris. Matthew, who does Washington select at number 19? Washington selects tackle Christian Derisoff from Virginia Tech. Is this a best player available situation for Washington, a need situation, combination of both? How do you view uh, what they're going to do here? Yeah, it's a bit of both. In terms of pure need, I think linebacker is a bit of a bigger need for them. But, you know, they traded away Trent Williams last year during the draft. They have Cornelius Lucas at left tackle, who's a solid veteran, but he's entering the last year of his contract. This is clearly a move for the future. They don't really have their left tackle of the future. And, you know, Washington doesn't have their quarterback of the future either. But, you know, you got to get that left tackle in place for whenever they do get that guy. So, you know, I think Derrissaw is a guy who can uh, slot in right away. He's a bit of a late bloomer, but played really well at Virginia Tech. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense for them. I was happy that he was still on the board. (laughs) Yeah, obviously in this situation, all five of the first-round quarterbacks were gone by the time Washington selected. Do you think that Washington is a player to potentially move up and get one of those guys in the draft? You know, I don't really see it. I mean, Ron Rivera, it would just go against really everything that Ron Rivera has kind of said. He says he wants to take his time, doesn't want to give up major assets because then if you trade up, then you're – kind of taking away from everyone else. And they brought in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, Fitzpatrick would be a great guy to mentor a a young QB, but I don't really see it as an option just because of more so of the price it would take to move up in the draft. Christian Derrissaw, offensive tackle. Virginia Tech is the pick to the Washington football team at number nine, 19, not number nine, 19. (laughs) From the Washington Times, he is Matthew Paris. Matthew, appreciate the time. Hey, thank you. The Chicago Bears are on the clock with the 20th pick in the first round. Making the pick for us is Lauren Cox, PFF analyst and host of Locked on Bears podcast. Lauren, with the 20th pick, the Bears do what? You know, I was really hoping to be able to land Christian Derrissaw from Virginia Tech. He was falling, he was falling, he was falling. I thought he would be there at 20. Instead, I go with the other Virginia Tech option and feel pretty good about it. Cornerback Caleb Farley. 
a great option to kind of step into this secondary and give me some long-term answer there to replace a, another Virginia Tech cornerback, Kyle Fuller. Hokey's the theme of this pick. Um, you mentioned Caleb Farley. It, it's interesting to me about three weeks ago, I mean, some people were making the argument he's the best corner in this class. Obviously, the back issues have had some impact. What is the worry there for you? You know, I, I feel like he's hasn't become a worse football player all of a sudden, right? I mean, even even though we haven't really seen a, a lot of even football from him at all, he was so good in 2019 that I feel like I'm still getting one of the top cornerback prospects in this draft class. And yes, the back injury is a concern and it, you know, and us on the outside, we don't really know a lot of the details, but it was a non, you know, non-football type situation here. So I'm not too concerned long term. These kind of things happen and I'm happy to take advantage of every other team being a little more scared than I am. This has become known as the quarterback draft. Five potential first-rounders. The Bears are a team that needs it, but at pick 20, uh, probably going to be left outside unless they they trade up. Uh, What's the likelihood, in your opinion, that they at least try to make a move? I think they'll have those conversations, but I don't know how far those conversations are going to get. They were ready to give multiple draft picks and starters to go get somebody like Russell Wilson. But if it's the same price tag for a rookie and not even the top rookie or the second rookie, or maybe we're talking the fourth or fifth rookie, all of a sudden I, I find myself much less inclined to want to go that much risk for a player that's a lot more risky than potentially a veteran that they could have gotten a trade. So they'll have that conversation, but I think the 49ers set that price tag a little bit too high for Chicago to jump all the way up from 20. As far as this pick, what are some other positions that you could potentially see them addressing here? Yeah, offensive line was where I really wanted to go. And, you know, I know I had options there, but I really wanted to get somebody that I felt like was a potential difference maker or someone that's a little bit harder to find, a little bit more rare. And I feel like, you know, Farley has some of those rare traits, whereas I can find offensive linemen in the second and third round that won't be as good, but can still get me by. Whereas I think if I wait on defensive back, I'm not going to be able to find anything quite as potentially special as Farley. So, you know, I I consider offensive line, I consider safety, but, you know, I feel like I can wait a little bit there too. Not a strong class at the top, even wide receiver. If there's a playmaker that I feel like can really make that difference, that's probably where I would have gone if Farley hadn't been on the board, just to add something to help Andy Dalton and prepare myself in case I can't get a long-term deal done with Allen Robinson. And eventually that deal might have to move on too. So it's all about the long-term future with, also getting some guys that can maybe help a little bit in the short term, too. Caleb Farley, cornerback, Virginia Tech, is the pick to the Chicago Bears at number 20. PFF analyst and host of Locked on Bears podcast, Lauren Cox, we appreciate your time. Hey, anytime. Thanks for having me. The Indianapolis Colts are on the clock at pick number 21 in this mock draft. Joining us from Bring the Juice Colts podcast is Cody Felger. Cody, what do the Colts do with pick 21 in this draft? Yeah, uh, we were talking off air. It's funny. Like we were like, man, this is kind of a worst case scenario in certain ways. (laughs) So, I mean, I think if I could, like we said, I'd probably trade out. But in this scenario, they're staying at 21. So with the 21st pick, I have the Indianapolis Colts selecting Quiddy Pay, edge rusher from Michigan. Now, I still like Quiddy Pay here uh, because, I mean, he's got everything the Colts are looking for. I mean, 6'4", nearly 280 pounds. I mean, this guy is a physical freak. Uh, the Colts, I, and I would argue, and I think a lot of people you, you would ask around the Colts media world would say pass rusher is the biggest need on defense. Um, some people would even say it's, it's a bigger need than left tackle, which, you know, the Colts don't have a left tackle with Costanzo retiring and stuff. So 
you know, the Colts obviously went out last offseason. They addressed the defensive interior with trading four to force Buckner. I think it makes a lot of sense to, especially with what the Colts have done in or not done in free agency, to go get your guy there at, at 21. Um, and I think, you know, looking at this draft from what I've seen, I'm not an expert by any means in terms of draft, but from what I've heard from a lot of people, especially at edge rusher, uh, it's like there's a couple guys there near the top. And then it kind of falls off a little bit into kind of, you know, this the second tier, I guess. And I have Quiddy Pay kind of in that first tier still. So I really like this selection a lot. I think it'll, you know, the Colts have invested a lot of draft capital into their defensive line um, with Kamoko Ture, Ben Banigou the last couple of years in round two. Um, I think with Quiddy Pay, he's a lot more of a refined prospect. So you feel like he could go in and he could start from day one, um, especially without re-signing Justin Houston um, up to this point. I think it's kind of a need, whether you know it's a must in the first two rounds, especially. But I think with the depth also at offensive tackle in this draft, it makes a lot of sense for me for the Colts to just address undoubtedly their biggest need on defense right away there with Quiddy Pay at 21. How fascinating is this draft when you consider Quiddy Pay is the number one edge guy on a lot of boards for him to be available at 21? I mean, that just in most drafts, you would never even consider that to be possible. No, you wouldn't. And so, you know, it's a little bit surprising. It's like, you know, you, we were talking about, man, his biggest crime is he's not Chase Young, right? He's not going top five. Um, yeah, it is very interesting that he is considered by a lot of people number one pass rusher. And I think that is the Colts' biggest need, like I said. So it's weird because there's going to be a lot of run on, obviously, quarterback. Do you think there may be, you know, four that go in the top 10, which is absolutely crazy to me? Um, it's kind of similar to that 2018 draft where uh, all those quarterbacks went within that those top 10 picks. Um, I could see that kind of happening again. Um, and there's some other guys maybe you could throw in there too that that might go that aren't necessarily needs for the Colts um, per se. Like, you know, there's some wide receivers. There's some other positions of need. Like even offensive tackle, there's going to be some guys that are going pretty early there or will go before the Colts, I should say. So, yeah, I think, you know, ultimately it comes down to who, but I feel like it's a very good shot more than people are realizing that the number one edge rusher could fall all the way down to 21. And I think if he does, man, the Colts would be wise, very wise to jump on that. If they don't go edge rush and you even mentioned the offensive tackles as a need, what are some other positions that you think might be addressed, if not in the first round early in this draft for the Colts? Yeah, I think corner is certainly a position that the Colts could look to upgrade. I mean, they brought back Xavier Rhodes on a one-year deal. Uh, Rocky Asen has been up and down the first couple of years in Indianapolis. Uh, you like Kenny Moore. He's probably the only guy you don't really have questions on. Um, you, like, you have some other guys like Marvell Tell, who was playing really well that one year, kind of making the transition from uh, free safety to corner. But he opted out last year. So you've got you like what you have, but you don't really have a true bonafide number one corner, you know, moving forward in the near future. So um, I think corner could certainly be a need. I think I don't know if it'll be round one, but tight end, I think, is a big need, too. Um, with the Colts haven't brought back Trey Burton yet, and there and it's been rumored they've been looking for a more playmaking tight end in in terms of receiving. So I could see that being a need. A uh, wide receiver also I think could be a sneaky need as well, um, because you know the Colts brought back Ty Hilton on a one year deal. You know you, you notice that trend this year. They brought back two players at corner and wide receiver on one year deals, so they're not committed long term to those guys. I will say I like. You know, if, if looking at number twos, I like Michael Pittman a great deal more than I do Rocky Ascent at this point. But still, um, I think wide receiver could be a need the Colts could look at. And I, I guess the last one maybe would be linebacker. Um, 
you know, I had a, I got a lot of flack because I did a mock draft a couple of days ago where I had the Colts taking the best player on the board. It was Baron Browning in the second round. People were like, we don't need a linebacker. And I said, well, <laughs> we said the same thing about running back last year with Jonathan Taylor. And look what happened, right. um, especially with losing Anthony Walker to the Browns in free agency. I could see that being a need. The thing about Ballard that I'll say is he's a guy that it doesn't matter if we think it's a position of need. It's if it's the best player on his board, he'll deal with it. He'll deal with the backlash later. He'll go with a guy that he thinks will really have a chance to help this team, whether or not we feel like we need to. Yeah. Um, he just has, and he's had a good track history of doing that. Right. So I think those are some of the biggest needs right now. Obviously edge and left tackle are the two biggest pressing needs that about everybody can see, but yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of like sneaky needs the Colts have that I think could be addressed maybe in that round two to, to round whenever, you know, the rest of the draft. So Yeah. Best player available is the f- phrase responsible for all of us having incorrect mock drafts, by the way. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you look a couple years ago, Darius Leonard, who even knew who Darius Leonard was before that? Right, right. And uh, Ballard has a good track history of finding those guys that nobody really talks about. So yeah. um, I have confidence he'll do it again. He'll throw us for a loop. We'll probably pick a linebacker in round two and we'll all be shocked. <laughs> Quiddy Pay from Michigan is the pick at 21 to the yes. Indianapolis Colts. He is Cody Felger from Bring the Juice Colts podcast. Cody, appreciate your time. We'll catch up again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. The Tennessee Titans are on the clock with pick number 22 in the first round. Joining us from Outkick 360 on Outkick.com is Chad Withrow. Chad, what does Tennessee do at pick number 22? The Tennessee Titans with a 22nd pick will take Aziz Ojalari, edge rusher from Georgia. This is a pick of need for the Titans. The three biggest needs in this draft, corner, edge rusher, wide receiver, Ojalari available at that spot. I think the most polished, already ready-made player at that position in this draft. So I've got the Titans taking Aziz Ojalari from Georgia with that 22nd pick. Tennessee loses a former top five wide receiver in free agency with Corey Davis. Is, in your opinion, any chance they go wide receiver in this first round? There is a chance. And uh, I thought long and hard about Kadarius Tony with this pick. So I, I do think that wide receiver is up there in terms of needs. If I had to rank the needs, I would go corner one, edge rusher two, and then wide receiver three. But those are the three most likely spots for the Titans to pick in the first round. Aziz Ojolari, edge out of Georgia, is the pick at number 22 for the Tennessee Titans from Outkick360 on Outkick.com. He is Chad Withrow. Chad, always appreciate your time, buddy. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. The New York Jets are back on the clock. They took Zach Wilson with the number two pick in this draft. Joining us from Broadway Jets podcast is NYJ Matt. You can follow him on Twitter at NYJ underscore Matt, no surprises at two, but maybe a surprise at 23. What do you got at 23 to the New York Jets? Yeah, at 23, I'm going to take offensive tackle out of Oklahoma State, Tevin Jenkins. You know, that, that's kind of how the board fell. Some guys like Greg Newsome, uh, Christian Darisaw, uh, Elijah Barrett-Tucker, some guys that I would have taken there at, at 23 if they fell. But I'm happy with the, t- the pick here. You combine now him and Becton as tackles almost combined 14 feet and 700 pounds, right? So that you have your bookend tackles for the next five, 10 years. And then, uh, you know, all interior offensive line is still a big issue for the Jets. And I talked about that at pick number two, but in the, in the second round, you have pick 34. So guys like Wyatt Davis, Creed Humphrey, 
Uh, Landon Dickerson, Alex Leatherwood can go inside. So you still can address corner or interior offensive line at 34. So I'm happy with Tevin Jenkins at, at 23 right here. How beneficial is it as far as Tevin Jenkins already playing on the right side and then immediately being plugged into the right side? Does that make a difference versus some of the other left tackles that you would be forced to move over there? Yeah, yeah, it's helpful because sometimes when you ask a guy to move um, from left tackle to right, it down the road, it impacts their salary if they want a new contract, it impacts what they're comfortable with. But at, at the end of the day, you're an NFL player. If a coach asks you to make a move, I think you should feel comfortable doing it. But I agree it does help that he's already playing in that right side. And now Zach Wilson has two monsters at tackles to really build around. And he didn't have to start day one. George Fant, previous captain at right tackle with the Jets on his final year uh, of his deal. So I'm happy with Fant there if they want to start him. And Tevin Jenkins can, can learn for a couple of weeks. But when you're a first-round pick, you want them right out there. So uh, Fant's salary can be cut. Uh, I know they can get a little bit back. He already has uh, some type of bonus that hit earlier in the offseason. But overall, I'm happy with the pick. I might have wanted a corner or AVT if he fell, but but in this pick, I'm comfortable with it. I've seen a lot of mock drafts go corner and even edge rush in this position for the Jets. Yeah, Gregory Rousseau out of Miami, I believe it's still on the board here. It's a, a pick that I really would love to go after. You get a guy like Lawson in the offseason where you're comfortable at edge. The Jets still need some more work there. But really for me, just seeing Jenkins fall on the idea of having your two tackle positions locked up, uh, you know, really young guys under 22 years old, you just feel more comfortable about it. And the fact that Jets have so many freaking draft picks, they have two thirds, they have number 34. You can improve on edge, corner, and interior offensive line there. But really, I was kind of handcuffed with some of the guys that went earlier. So at Jenkins at 23, I, I don't think Douglas can go wrong. He talked about building through the O-line a lot. And the Jets O-line, even though Beckton was a hit and McGovern played well down the stretch, was very underwhelming last year. So he definitely needs to make some improvements during the draft. And he didn't really do so in free agency. Tevin Jenkins, offensive tackle, Oklahoma State, goes number 23 to the New York Jets. He is NYJ Matt from Broadway Jets Podcast. Matt, appreciate it. We'll catch up again soon. Awesome. Thank you, Colby. The Pittsburgh Steelers are on the clock at number 24. Making the pick is Tommy Jagai with StillCurtain.com, part of the fan-sided network. Tommy, with the 24th overall selection, the Steelers select two. I've got the Steelers going with Notre Dame linebacker Jeremiah Wusu koromora J-O-K. J-O-K so. is the selection. Um, I think this is a really interesting pick, and I think he's a really interesting prospect. And the biggest question is, how is he going to be used at the next level? Yeah, so a lot of people out there are pointing to Steelers uh, taking offense in the first round, and I get that. They need it. Uh, the Steelers, though, also lost Bud Dupree, Vince Williams, Mike Hilton this offseason, Steven Nelson as well. They value defense. And so if you look, counting the trade for Minka Fitzpatrick, the Steelers have taken defense in eight straight years now in the first round. And so I think JOK fits exactly what they're looking for here. Now, he's not tailor-made to fit next to Devin Bush. He's a little bit on the smaller side, but I don't think the Steelers would use him, uh, pigeonhole him into that role either. I think they could use him sort of a hybrid safety uh, linebacker in nickel and dime. And so uh, I think that he would make a lot of sense with his pick. He checks pretty much every box they look for in terms of he's an underclassman, he's an athlete. Uh, they obviously love 
Notre Dame. That's one of their schools, and they drafted Chase Claypool from Notre Dame last year in the second round. And so I think he makes a lot of sense, and I can see him being the best player available on the board at pick 24 if he's still there. The, the Steelers are interesting because when I look at mock drafts, I feel like it's somebody different in every mock draft I see. I've seen mm-hmm. running backs. I've seen uh, tackles. I've seen Trayvon Merrick, the safety, if he's available. Uh, it kind of seems like there are a lot of different ways that this could potentially go. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, the way that this board uh, was laid out, uh, Najee Harris is already off the board, and so that's a potential option in the first round. But then again, if we look at draft trends, the Steelers have only taken one first-round running back in the last 31 years. And so while everybody is pointing to that, it's not something that general manager Kevin Colbert typically does. And so the Steelers really don't value the position as much as everybody is mocking it. Now that that's not an option, so Harris and, and ETN are both options with the 24th pick because Tomlin and Colbert were there at the pro days, and they've clearly shown interest. Um, as far as Tra- Trayvon Murray goes, Uh, He's an option as well. That seems like a bit of a luxury pick to me. They still have Terrell Edmonds under contract. They'll probably give him the fifth-year option here. He's coming off of his best season last year, and so I think he would be one of the best players available at that spot, Uh, but that seems a little bit more of a luxury pick to me. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, J-O-K, the linebacker out of Notre Dame, goes number 24 to the Pittsburgh Steelers. He is Tommy Jagai with SteelCurtain.com, part of the fan-sided network. Tommy, appreciate the time, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you. The Jacksonville Jaguars are back on the clock with pick number 25. The first time wasn't a mystery. A little bit more mystery with this one. What will they do at pick 25? We are once again joined by Hayes Carlion, 1010XL, and 92.5 FM covering the Jags. Hayes, again, no mystery with the first pick. What are we going to do here at 25? This one's a little different, Colby. It's uh, I got to be honest. We were hoping Barmore might be there, but obviously we've had plenty of time uh, to to rally the troops with him going 17th uh, to the Raiders. So uh, that we don't see an interior defensive lineman we love. The edge market has also just been uh, recently kind of picked. We're looking at receiver. You know, we see a gap now, a uh, pretty big gap. I think it's been 13 picks since the last receiver was selected. Uh, So we're now starting to see some pretty good value here. At 25, the Jacksonville Jaguars select Florida receiver Kadarius Toney. Kadarius Toney, obviously a dynamic playmaker. Trevor Lawrence is going to need weapons. And I think stylistically, uh, he brings something that they don't really have on the roster, correct? And and that's the big point of the pick, Colby. I totally agree. You look at what uh, Trevor Lawrence has to work with right now. DJ Chark, who's a good downfield threat, big receiver, physical uh, coming into his own, uh, he's been to a Pro Bowl. You've got LaVisca Chenault, who's very physical after the catch. Uh, and and they signed Marvin Jones, who's a very savvy veteran receiver. Kadarius Tony, I think, brings in another element. He ran a 4.37 at his Pro Day. Uh, that's obviously much faster than what I thought he would run, having watched every Gator game here in, in Jacksonville. Um, so I think you you now see how electric he is on tape. You see that 40 time, and even if he's more of a 4.44 guy, something like that, we know these pro day times are a little elevated than what we've seen, but but that answered a lot of questions about his home run ability. Uh, we know what he can do after the catch, so we feel like you know that would be an excellent way to go for the Jaguars in terms of having four kind of different receivers for Trevor Lawrence to work with, and you know it's the way the league is going. 
obviously a, a lot of holes for this team that need to be filled. Um, plenty of draft capital to take care of some of those holes. What in, in the early stages of this, whether it's the 25th pick or you get into the second round, what are the positions that you think just have to be addressed? They've got to get a pass catching tight end. Uh, now there wasn't really one here that we felt like, you know, would be the the play. Uh, Fairmouth, the Penn State tight end, is certainly somebody that I think the Jaguars will be very interested in in the second round, either at 33 or 45. And I do think that the defensive front and the edge will be addressed. Uh, I think if for Urban Meyer to say, you know, we expect that to be uh, uh, in the top eighth of the league uh, or top – top eight in the league uh, right out of the gate, you've got to build that through premium, you know, draft capital. And so again, it didn't really line up. Would have loved to have seen Barmore there. Um, but I, I think with where they were at 25, going ahead and getting a playmaker is is the best option. And I, I didn't think Tony would be there. I thought he'd go somewhere between 18 and 19, particularly with uh, Devonta Smith coming off at, at, I believe 12 or 13, somewhere in there. So, um, you know, it just it just made the most sense. But I think moving forward, you'll see certainly interior defensive line, pass catching tight end is uh, big priorities for the Jaguars as the draft continues. He gets to stay in state. Trevor Lawrence has a, a weapon. So it sounds like a, a positive first round for Urban Meyer in year number one. Once again, Hayes Carlion making the pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars at 25. It's Kadarius Tony out of Florida. Hayes, always appreciate it. We'll catch up again soon. Colby, thank you so much. Have a great night. The Cleveland Browns are on the clock at pick number 26. Joining us from 92.3 The Fan and the Hurry Up podcast is Mac Robinson. Mac, before you make the pick, I just have to let you know, I am in the middle of Browns country. I'm not in Ohio. I am in Oklahoma. <laughs> Baker Mayfield could probably run for governor in this state and win in a landslide. Baker Mayfield <laughs> is so beloved in this state that I, I'm pretty convinced at this point that the Browns are probably the favorite team in the state of Oklahoma. So this is almost like a, a home state pick, if you will, for the Cleveland Browns. But with the number 26 pick, the Cleveland Browns select two. The Cleveland Browns are going to be selecting wide receiver Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota, giving Baker Mayfield yet another target on the outside. Rashad Bateman, first of all, big fan of his game. But this might be the biggest surprise of a pick uh, to this point in the draft for me because I think we all look at Cleveland understanding how good the offense was, understanding there's a lot of holes defensively. Why did you go offense instead of defense here? So with free agency, Andrew Barry has addressed most of the needs, obviously the latest being Jadevian Clowney uh, on the defensive line there. But with the drafts, we're kind of looking forward towards some of these needs. So obviously Odell Beckham, he's had his questions and everything like that. He's had his injury history. Jarvis Landry, his contract seems to be coming up in a couple years here. So this is more so future-proofing the position, getting another receiver for, o or for Baker Mayfield, excuse me, and also adding a little bit of a long-term answer at the position. As they already re-signed Rashad Higgins, he's also on a one-year deal. So getting a long-term answer at receiver for Baker Mayfield on this offense. Tell me about the draft needs if they don't go receiver. What do they need to address in the early rounds of this draft? Uh, one being a cornerback opposite of Denzel Ward is one of the top needs, I would say. Uh, you know, I looked at the cornerbacks that were there and, you know, I didn't feel like the value was quite there uh, for the cornerbacks. Obviously, you know, I was hoping for maybe a Greg Newsom to fall a little bit further down, you know, 
fingers crossed that if J.C. Horn was anywhere near, I'd be jumping all over that. But at the same time, uh, cornerback is a massive need. I'd still add another edge rusher, even though they just landed Clowney as well, and they signed Tack McKinley. And also, too, don't underestimate the interior defensive line because Sheldon Richardson, he's on a one-year deal. Andrew Billings coming back, one-year deal, as well as Malik Jackson, also on a one-year deal. So need to add a little bit more of a future, uh, future-proofing future that position when it comes to the defensive line as well. I've seen some mock drafts, uh, multiple mock drafts, I should say, that go linebacker for the Browns in this position. I don't know if you – do you feel like there's a a pick or a linebacker that is valuable enough to take in the first, or is that something you feel like can be addressed later? I think that it can be addressed a little bit later, but if there are a couple of guys, I look at Zayvon Collins as one. I look at Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa as somebody else who, obviously, I was a little upset that I'm going to have to play him twice a year, uh, him getting taken by Pittsburgh. Uh, but both of those guys I look at as some, as players who are interesting. I also took a look at Jamin Davis out of Kentucky. Uh, somebody who's very athletic. Uh, he can play the middle of the field, but with the Cleveland Browns, it seems like Joe Woods is going to be aiming for more of that dime defense where you're going to have three safeties and three corners on the field at all times, pretty much. So linebacker's not as big of a need, especially after they added Anthony Walker, but there are a couple of guys who I would consider at 26. Another weapon for Baker Mayfield. I'm pretty sure I just heard the state uh, cheer in the background. So Rashad <laughs> Bateman, wide receiver, Minnesota, goes 26 to the Cleveland Browns. From 92.3, the fan and the Hurry Up podcast, he is Mac Robinson. Max, will touch base again soon. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. The Baltimore Ravens are on the clock at pick number 27 in the first round. Joining us from the Locked on Ravens podcast is Kevin Ostriker. Kevin, what are the Ravens doing at pick 27? Colby, with the 27th selection in this draft, the 2021 draft, I have the Ravens taking Terrace Marshall Jr., the wide receiver out of LSU. It's It's been no secret that Baltimore's been looking at wide receiver help throughout the 2021 offseason. And with both Kadarius Toney and Rashad Bateman off the board, I mean, Terrace Marshall just makes the most sense. As far as getting weapons for Lamar Jackson, is that the is that the biggest need going into this NFL draft? It, it's certainly one of them. Um, when you look at at the Ravens right now. There's a needed edge. They could also use potentially an offensive lineman here or there, maybe a safety, but the Ravens have a bunch of different options they can go in, which I think gives them a little bit of leeway to potentially take the best player on their board, the best player available at a position of need. So they're not necessarily forcing a pick at the number one need, but they are still getting someone who can make an impact at an area where they need a little bit of production. I keep seeing Orlando Brown's name attached to all kind of trade rumors. Is is the expectation that he's going to be moved? Is he going to stick around? Like, how, how do you kind of view that whole situation and, and the way the Ravens may approach an offensive tackle in this draft? Yeah, it's certainly an interesting one, Colby. And for Orlando Brown Jr., the situation is most likely he's not going to be a part of Baltimore's roster in 2022. That's a given. Now, if he's traded during the 2021 offseason, it's seeming less and less likely that that's going to be the case just because of the fact that I think Baltimore thinks they have a pretty decent shot with him already on the roster. He is obviously a very good right tackle and a good left tackle, but he does want to move over to that left side. So, they could get some compensation for him, but also I could see them just running it back with him and putting him at right tackle for this last year of his deal, letting him walk in 2022 and getting that third round compensatory pick back. Terrence, Terrace Marshall Jr., wide receiver, LSU is the pick at 27 for the Baltimore Ravens from Locked On Ravens podcast. He is Kevin Ostriker. Kevin, appreciate the time, my friend. Colby, thanks so much.
The New Orleans Saints are on the clock at pick number 28, and joining us from NOLA.com is Amy Just. Amy, it is a new era of Saints football with Drew Brees calling it quits. What do the Saints do in this draft at number 28? Yeah, so it wouldn't surprise me just with the, the picks that had been previously made that they might trade back, um, but I'm not going to make this confusing for you. Um <laughs> Um, I'm going to go with David Collins, linebacker out of Tulsa, um, just because the biggest need that the Saints have is corner, but a lot of the cornerbacks that they're high on have already been taken because other people are high on them as well. Uh, so another need for them is uh, is a pass-rushing linebacker, and I think David Collins could uh, could fit the bill for them there. It always seems to me every year in the 20s, you have these good teams that obviously don't have as many needs, but there are always great players like Zayvon Collins that fall to the 20s, and a team like the Saints getting a player that could play immediately like that to me just seems like such a steal. Exactly, and playing next to Demario Davis, too. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's dangerous. That's a, that's a potentially dangerous duo for sure is obviously they're not getting a quarterback at number 28 uh, or at least one of the five first-round quarterbacks in this draft, but is that something that they would like to attack in some way maybe in the later rounds of this draft? I could foresee them doing something like that just because the the two main quarterbacks that they have on the roster in Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill are both on – they both have one year left on their deals. Uh, Jameis was re-signed to a one-year deal – um, this offseason, and Taysom was signed to a two-year deal last year. So this is a contract year for both of them. So it would make sense for them to draft somebody that they like in the later rounds. You mentioned corner maybe being the biggest need. Are there any other big needs potentially that you could see being addressed with the 28 pick? Um, They went with an offensive lineman last year. I don't think they'll do that again, but they could just depending on how it shakes out. They don't have the near the depth that they do um, that they did last year, and they still went with uh, Caesar Ruiz out of Michigan there last year. Um, but yeah, I uh, maybe honestly, the Saints usually go with best player available, so that could mean anything. But they do have a lot more glaring needs this year than they have in years past. So I'm interested to see how they balance their approach with that. Zayvon Collins, linebacker Tulsa, is the pick to the New Orleans Saints at number 28. She is Amy Just with NOLA.com. Amy, always appreciate the time. We'll catch up again soon. Thanks, Colby. The Green Bay Packers have the 29th pick in this NFL draft. Making the pick from WBAY Sports is Bailey Burmaster. Bailey with the 29th pick. What will Green Bay do? The Packers will pick center Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma. This is a timely pick considering what happened in free agency, correct? Correct. Obviously, Corey Lindsley went to the Chargers, and if you kept up with the Packers last season, there was a lot of movement on the offensive line. Elton Jenkins would fill in the spot at center quite well, and they were able to manage, but then David Bakhtiari went down, tearing his ACL, so they need some depth in this center position could give them the flexibility to do with Elton Jenkins what they what they may, whether it's to keep him at guard or keep him at center. They have a decision to make there, but this gives them the depth that they may need. And it's keeping the non-playmaker for Aaron Rodgers' streak alive. 
Exactly. Also very important to keep him safe and protected, especially coming off his MVP performance. As far as draft needs, if they don't go offensive line, what other positions could you possibly see them addressing here? Yeah, I think they're going to look for a dynamic corner, someone who can fill in on those diamond nickel packages a lot. J.C. Horn is someone I could see them eyeing up. If he falls that far, I don't think that will be the case. But looking for a talented corner like that, maybe Eric Stokes is somewhere else you could see them going. And, you know, I think they need some linebackers, but I think they'll look in the later rounds for, for that need. Well, it's not a playmaker for Aaron Rodgers, but it's also not another quarterback, which I think might be the only thing that would upset him more. Yeah, no, I think you're right there. I think last year it was, oh, they're going to take a receiver. They need a receiver. They showed this year they don't need a receiver. You just need weapons to make it happen. Fans weren't happy about it, but then you go and get Jordan Love, and that kind of threw not only fans, but I think everyone for a little spin there. So uh, safe to say, hopefully no quarterbacks in this one. Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma is the pick at 29 to the Green Bay Packers. She is Bailey Burmaster with WBAY Sports in Wisconsin. Bailey, always appreciate it. We'll catch up again soon. Of course. Thank you. The Buffalo Bills are on the clock making the 30th selection in this first round mock draft. Joining us from Syracuse.com and the Shout Podcast is Matt Perino covering the Buffalo Bills. Matt, with pick number 30, the Buffalo Bills select two. Jalen Phillips, edge rusher uh, out of Miami, Florida. Uh, this is this is a pick um, that I think Brandon Bean, if given the chance, runs to the podium as long as the medicals uh, all check out. Uh, the Bills really need to get younger and more athletic on their defensive line, especially on the edge. They spent a first round pick on Ed Oliver a couple of years ago. And I think adding a guy like Jalen Phillips, who has the potential to be the top edge rusher in this class at pick 30 would just be a real home run for Brandon Bean. This is a, a pick that I, I feel like has just skyrocketed over the last month or so as far as the draft process and and where people expected him to go 30 days ago to to today you know where he's probably a first round pick yeah i actually did a a mock draft that's coming out either later today or tomorrow uh that had the bills trading up for philip or um for phillips because listen when you have a need like this and you have a chance to get a guy the potential caliber that he can be. I mean, a couple of years ago when they picked that Oliver, they, they could have taken Brian Burns, who's ended up being a real difference maker on the edge. And I think this might be a chance to find that player. I know they really like AJ Epinesa and he showed some flashes in the second half last season, but I think that what you get in Phillips is a difference maker in terms of how he's able to win uh, the dimensions to his game. AJ Epinesa is a power rusher. He's really not going to bend crazy around the edge. And I think that Jalen Phillips could be that. And um, I think that that could be a huge win. Obviously, cornerback is another area where I think Bills fans are really hoping that the the team addresses uh, with that pick 30. But the problem there is all the top guys could be gone by there. I mean, if you're talking about Asante Samuel in the mix with Newsom and and Farley and um, J.C. Horn and Sertain, if all five of them somehow are gone, I don't see how you can go cornerback at that spot unless you're willing to trade back a little bit. Or maybe there is somebody that stands out on Brandon Bean's board and they're will, they're ready to make that pick at 30. We'll see. Um, but, you know, also got to remember to scheme and and uh, regime specific. Sean McDermott is a defensive backs coach. I mean, that's how he got into the league. So he has the confidence to develop players wherever they get him in the draft. And I know they took a shot on Tredavious White, but once they got him, I think that they're more confident in in taking guys later in the draft, undrafted free agents, 
Levi Wallace has been so good. So I really like the edge rusher value if you get it there with Phillips. It's always fascinating to me, these teams that are picking at the end of the first round. Obviously, they're really good, and they're very, very close. AFC Championship for the Bills last year. Uh, but it's fascinating to me to see these teams get in this position. And do you go for maybe that one hole that you're missing or most of the time you're in a situation where it's a luxury pick and you can just go get the best guy out there and sometimes that turns into a massive home run definitely and a couple of home runs uh luxury picks out there as well um you know it's crazy to think about because stefan diggs cole beasley gabriel davis had a great year last year they add emmanuel sanders this is a wide receiver heavy offense i know a lot of fans are kind of banging the tight end drum uh, Kyle Pitts is, is likely not in the cards. So I think that, you know, taking a receiver there, if you have somebody high enough on your board, that you think come in here and be a difference maker in round one, you know, getting Brian Dable as many weapons as you can, isn't a bad thing. And I think that's what will keep Travis Etienne out of Clemson, Najee Harris of Alabama, a couple of a really good running backs, Javonta Williams from North Carolina in the mix as well. Jalen Phillips, edge from Miami, is the pick at 30 to the Buffalo Bills. From Syracuse.com and the Shout Podcast, a Buffalo Bills podcast, Matt Perino, thanks for the pick. Thank you. The Kansas City Chiefs are on the clock at pick number 31 in this first round. From Sports Radio 810 and ArrowheadReport.com, he is Joshua Briscoe. What do the Chiefs do at number 31 here? The way the board fell, I'm taking Jason Owe, the edge from Penn State, with this pick. Uh, I'm sure that you and lots of other people have lots of questions about why this isn't a tackle, but I have answers and they're not that satisfactory. Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's what everybody is penciling in in their mock draft for Kansas City at 31 when you consider the two tackles uh, being let go this offseason. Is this just a matter of you feel like good tackle value later in the draft or the guys that you really valued were already gone? I think it's more the latter, especially in this class. You start finding that guys four through eight or nine, I'm I'm having a hard time differentiating between all of them. And I think that it would be a poor use of my draft assets to take one of those guys whenever there's maybe only a slight upgrade. The big question, though, is do they think any of those guys might be there at 63 in the second round? And I don't know, but this is a place where the Chiefs have let themselves get to at this point where the right tackle side's figured out. They have the rookie who opted out last year, Lucas Niang. They brought back Mike Rimmers. Right sided on the tackle position is fine. Interior on the line is fine. The left tackle is just absolutely a gaping hole. The other thing, though, is that Jason Owe is an incredible athlete, and Brett Veach, the general manager, Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator, love great athletes on the edge. So I I think this pick is a great fit. The only reason that you start to pivot away from it is because the tackle position on the left side is absolutely fairly incredibly dire. What is the situation with the potential of an Orlando Brown-type trade before this draft actually happens? Because I keep seeing the, the smoke signals about that possibly being in the works. The, the biggest thing there is it just depends on if the Chiefs or any other team think he's actually a left tackle. I mean, that's sort of the reason that he wants out of Baltimore is to be a left tackle somewhere, but he's been a great right tackle. He seems to be a great right tackle. Like, I think that that's probably a fair assessment at this point. So if the Chiefs think he could play left tackle, I would ship this pick off for Orlando Brown in a heartbeat. You want to swap some later picks, whatever, that's fine. If it essentially is a first-round pick, if they think he could play on the left side— He'll, he'll have to get a new contract, which is the advantage that you have by drafting rookies. You don't have to pay them those exorbitant amounts of money. But on the plus side, he's still younger, much younger than a Trent Williams, who they were in on until the bitter end with San Francisco. So the Chiefs know their left tackle spot is, again, a black hole at this point. If it's Orlando Brown, if it's a high draft pick, they wanted to be Trent Williams. It's been the biggest story of the offseason so far. 
If it's not offensive tackle, if it's not the edge rush position that you took, what are the other needs that you could potentially see addressed with this pick? I think the one sort of under the radar, not super fun one is at center. They signed Austin Blythe, the former Ram center, uh, to a one-year deal. They're still going to try to add someone at some point in this draft, I think, to hopefully put in front of Patrick Mahomes for four or five years. Say, all right, you're going to be the guy that is directly in front of our franchise quarterback for a long time now. I can definitely see that, but also... They're going to take a receiver sometime, and I think it might be early. I, I did another mock draft where the board fell a little. I think there was a big run of receivers pretty close ahead of my pick here in our draft. And if the if the board falls a little differently, maybe you get Rashad Bateman in that 31st spot. I love him there. I love a receiver adding to this offense as well. But I would say it's really it's left tackle, it's edge, uh, receiver, and center. Eventually, you'd like to see them add a second tight end behind Travis Kelsey. Don't expect that at the first, though. Those four positions are really where I'm putting my focus at this point. Jason Oway, Edge out of Penn State, is the pick to Kansas City at number 31 from Sports Radio 810 and ArrowheadReport.com. He is Joshua Briscoe. Josh, always appreciate the time, man. Happy to do it. We have reached the final pick in this 2021 first-round mock draft. The number 32 pick belongs to the Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, this time a year ago, we were having the conversation, Greg, about whether or not Tom Brady was finished or had anything left in the tank. But now we're making the number 32 draft pick. Joining us from The Athletic is Greg Allman. Greg, who will Tampa Bay select to close out this first round? This was a tough call. Uh, lots of good options there at 32. Uh, thought about going a bunch of different directions. But uh, Buccaneers are taking Clemson running back Travis Etienne at number 32. This, uh, to be quite honest, just kind of feels like stealing for the Super Bowl champions to get a player of this caliber. It is, it, it, and it's tricky because they just added Giovanni Bernard yesterday, uh, which gives them more than adequate depth at running back. Um, I feel like no matter what they do, it's going to be somebody who doesn't play too much this year and can play much more down the road. And all three of the Bucks running backs, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, and now Bernard as well, are all free agents after this year. So I feel like there's a chance for him to step into a much bigger role uh, in year two, even if it's kind of a gluttony of depth here this, this first year to have all those backs in one, in one backfield. You mentioned so many great options, and with so many guys returning from that Super Bowl team, the, the needs aren't necessarily glaring, but what are some other positions that you could potentially see them addressing here? Yeah, it's like I had started looking when, uh, when there were two picks ahead of the box. And honestly, the two picks immediately before the box at 30 and 31 were both pass rushers. I, I still think that's kind of their biggest immediate need is, is getting young depth uh, behind Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul at outside linebacker. So I, I was definitely, I think if Phillips had still been there, I, I probably would have taken him at 32. Phillips went and then Jason Oway from Penn State went as well, who, who would have been my next two pass rushers. The Russo from Miami is still there. Um, I had what I had written down of the options I was looking at. Um, honestly, Landon Dickerson is still there, and I think they could use interior offensive line. I don't know that they, they needed enough to take a first-round pick there. I'd be impressed if they used their top pick on an offensive lineman two years in a row. So at Dickerson, I had Russo, uh, Asante Samuel from Florida State as a corner. Um, the other guys at, at pass rusher at edge, like Tryon and, and Joseph Osai, um, had them in there as well. Um, if they went D line, I think there's a big drop off after Barmore. Um, I'm going to butcher the name, but uh, the Anwuzurike, I believe is his <laughs> yeah, name. Out of Washington, uh, yeah, Levi from Washington, Levi, right? Um, I had him on the list too. So there's about five or six that are all uh, among the top ten or so available and at need positions, if you will, long term for the Bucks. I, I just felt like ETN was uh, was the one that had the most upside. And you think about 
after this year who can help them the most. Um, the smart pick would probably be a pass rusher there. I'm just not all that sold on the guys that were there to be picked at 32, whether it's Tryon or Russo or Osai or one of those guys. Travis Etienne, running back Clemson, goes number 32 to the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. From The Athletic, he is Greg Allman. Greg, always great to talk to you, and we'll catch up again soon. Hey, thanks for letting me be a part of this. Take care. Once again, a giant thank you to everyone that helped me out with this mock draft. Uh, again, it's just great catching up with all these people uh, this time of year. And, uh, you know, so many talented people in this business, so many talented people covering all of these teams. And uh, I'm very appreciative of their time. So uh, there we go. A, a big thank you to all of you guys that helped me out with this thing. Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. It's all about educating yourself on these products and their health benefits. And if you're unfamiliar with the health benefits, don't hesitate to give Artisan Botanicals a call. They have a staff dedicated to helping you live a better life. 405-458-9699. Plus, when you order online, abotanicalcompany.com, we're saving you 15%. Use the discount code ColbyShow, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, discount code ColbyShow to save 15% off your online order. Artisan Botanicals, A Botanical Company. Com. All right, everybody, have a great day, stay safe, and I will see you tomorrow. Podcast is over.